Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Schaefer, along with Mark Middleton. And, oh, man, are we living in some unusual times. Unsettled, chaotic, divisive, and even violent times. It's it's difficult not to be affected by it, to not let it affect you. But this program is called Growing Bolder, and that's what we're going to do. Today, you're going to hear about ways to move forward, to stay connected to who you are and what you value, to look inward, to identify what your priorities are, and how to reach your potential, how to stay optimistic, how to reach out to others, and how to make a positive difference in your life and the life of others. Man, you got me excited. I'm fired up today, Mark. (laughs) You know, on today's program, you're going to hear from one of the most unusual actors in the country, someone who has stood up for the rights of others his entire life, who is still right in the middle of things. In fact, he turns up at protest with a real live llama. <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation with Larry McCool and Cesar, his no drama llama. Also, you know, there's no better way to ground yourself than to start a garden. Just something about getting your fingers in the dirt, working with the soil, tending to plants, and then being able to eat what you grow that has many unexpected benefits. You'll hear how planting brought a group of strangers together. Uh, But first, do you want to be happier? I mean, who doesn't want that? It's time to talk to a woman who wrote the book on how to do it. It's called The Happiness Project, and what she has to say is a lot more inspiring than what you might think. Ordinary people... Extraordinary Lives, it's time for Growing Bolder. Gretchen Rubin is a woman whose voice is really needed now more than ever. She's one of the world's most respected, influential, and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. Uh, Really interesting because she started her career in law and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized that she wanted to be a writer. So in a very growing bolder move, that's exactly what she set out to do. And uh, let's acknowledge, folks, she's been uh, kind of successful. She's the author of multiple blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, uh, including Outer Order, Inner Calm, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project, which uh, spent, I think, over two years on the bestseller list. All told, she has sold 3.5 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. She's the host of the award-winning podcast, The Happiness Project with Gretchen Rubin, uh, which really has been named, and rightly so, one of the top podcasts uh, in America every year since 2015. So let's welcome her from her home in New York City, uh, Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, how are you today? I'm very happy to be talking to you. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you using the word happy, but uh, let's let, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, you're well known for helping all of us be happy. Uh, are you happy? Uh, is it more difficult some days to to find that happiness place? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think, sometimes people think that if you work on happiness, the aim is to be you know, out of, on a one to 10 scale at a 10 every single day. And, you know, that's not realistic. And I don't even think that would be a good life because sometimes it's very appropriate to have negative emotions and negative emotions have a lot of positive uh, benefits for us. But having done a lot of work on happiness and human nature, I definitely have a much bigger bag of solutions that when I'm feeling blue or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling anxious or whatever, um, I have a lot of concrete ways to go about trying to address that rather than just letting it kind of unhappiness just kind of wash over me. So I'm basically the same, but I'm just much better at handling it than I was before I spent so much time studying it. You know, I really think that your message, Gretchen, is is more important, more powerful, more relevant, you know, at this moment than it's ever been. And, and of course, we all want to be happy. So it's always important. But but I think that, you know, we're all challenged in so many ways. You know, business is tough. People are having struggle yeah. putting food on the table. Uh, we're worried about, uh, you know, the virus. Can you share a tip or two? I mean, what, what's and, and I know that if, if we read your book, we're going to get all of this. But is there some way to kind of center ourselves and remind ourselves that we can still be happy even during a time like this? Yeah. So I'll give you uh, something that works all the time and something that's specific for right now. So in general, if you said, what is the secret to a happy life? If you had to pick one thing, 
ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists would agree it's relationships. We need strong relationships in order to feel happy. And with everything that's going on, you see people trying to use new tools like Zoom or, you know, having a book club meet virtually or drive by, you know, uh, uh, drinks and things like that. Um, because people recognize that they need to reach out. And it's hard because um, somebody said, we don't want to be socially distanced, but we need to be physically distanced. And that's, that's tough. Um, so anything you can do to broaden your relationships, deepen your relationships, keep your relationships active is something that's going to make you happier. And I think we all need to look out for people who maybe aren't as networked in, maybe who might not get a million texts over the course of the day or not be invited to a bunch of like zoom meetings um, and make sure that they're kind of looked after and taken care of and brought into social relationships. Now, what about this specifically this time? I think that one thing that many people are struggling with, I know I am, is the uncertainty. A lot of people are sort of like, if I had a deadline, if you could tell me a date and I could just work toward that deadline, I would be so much better. If you could tell me what's going to happen you know, what the world is going to look like January 1st, I could deal with it. But there's just this uncertainty. Mm. Um, one thing that can help with that is like, let's say you're facing what is school going to look like? What is work going to look like? What are we going to do about XYZ vacation? What are we going to do about this family situation? It's easy to start to ruminate and have swirling thoughts. And you're like, but this, but this, but this, but this. Mm -hmm. And what about that? What about that? And then you just get drained and overwhelmed. So make a flow chart. Write it down because it can seem like there are it's kind of countless outcomes or possibilities, but really there's probably just a handful. And if you write them down, there's this model, there's this model, there's this model. And then you can say, is this one likely? This one is not very likely. Hmm. It's probably these two or three. Okay. Given that those are probably what I'm looking at, what are some concrete things that I could do to set myself up for that? Even if I don't know for certain that I'm going to be focusing on that, really identify what you're worried about, because a lot of times getting that clarity helps us identify solutions. It also gives us more of a feeling of control. You know, one of the things that uh, we're all staying home so much, Gretchen, and one of the things I'm finding is that there's some clutter around. So the other day in my office, this is so bad. I took all the boxes and I moved them into my husband's office, but mine feels so good now. <laughs> so and I read your clutter manifesto. Uh, help us understand why clutter makes us feel so tied up. Well, it's funny because I've been studying happiness, you know, for so long, and I was just very struck by the degree to which for most people, outer order contributes to inner calm. And that's why I wrote the book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, because- yes. You could say, like, what in, in the context of everything that's going on right now, what does it matter that you've got some boxes in your office? Like, that seems so <laughs> inconsequential. And yet over and over, people tell me, like, I feel so much freer. I feel like I can focus. I feel like I have more energy. I feel like I've lost weight. Um, a friend said to me, I finally cleared out my fridge, and now I know I can switch careers. And I thought, <laughs> I know how that feels. Um so I do think it's kind of irrational in a way, like a crowded coat closet or an overflowing in basket is just not consequential in the context of a happy life. And yet people do feel so much better. And I think it might be an illusion, but it's a helpful illusion. And certainly in this time, of, I think partly to just give ourselves more elbow room and, to, and yeah. increase the kind of livability and comfort in our homes, but also kind of to assert control. Like I can't control the virus, but I can control my utility closet. People are cleaning up. A friend of mine, think of how genius this is. At the beginning of Safer at Home, like the, the serious lockdown, her three adult sons were coming home to be with her family in their like uh, suburban Philadelphia house. She had the foresight to rent a dumpster and she spent the whole, the next like 10 weeks making her big sons run stuff out of the closets Love and out that. of the dumpster and to give away once they could give things away again. It was like, okay, that's brilliant. But I think there is this sense that when we create outer order in our surroundings, we boost our sense of, of focus and energy. And it's sort of like we get rid of the things we don't use, the things we don't need, the things we don't love, the things that are maybe broken, things that are outmoded. A lot of things now because of technology, you don't really use that calculator anymore. You don't use that digital recorder. You don't use that fax machine. So why it's perfectly good. It's useful. Someone else maybe could use it but you're not using it. So go ahead and get rid of it and give yourself that elbow room and then free up space for other things that you really are using. And especially now you may have to rearrange your space 
because you need like a privacy room for people to take phone calls uh, or take a class, or maybe you need, uh, you want to make a standing desk out of an ironing board or something like that. People are coming up with very creative solutions for what we're facing. I heard that on your podcast. <laughs> the Isn't ironing board tip. <laughs> See, also, it's like you're in like a walking. A lot of people are using like walk-in closets and like pantries and things like rooms that aren't really rooms. Um, but it's a great ledge. Like if you have to have a lamp or you know you need some supplies. And who's ironing like, anyway? We're who's ironing our- anyway? <laughs> I'm wearing yoga pants and t-shirts. You know. Yeah. We're, we're talking with Gretchen Rubin and folks, these are great tips. And Gretchen, the thing about listening to you is, and, and this is the reason that you have to buy her books is because it makes so much sense. It seems so simple. And then two seconds later, we completely forget and we fall back into our own habits. So we all think to ourselves, am I happy? And my answer is, well, of course I am because I get it. It's just everyone around me brings me down all the time. So what do we do if we're in circles or homes or the circle of friends that we have who maybe bring a little bit of negativity into, into everything? Well, that's a real issue because um, research shows that we really do communicate emotions with each other. That's called emotional contagion. We literally infect each other with our emotions. And this isn't even just in person. You can pick up an emotion from somebody from a phone call or even looking at a photograph. So we are very susceptible to each other's moods. Um, I think one thing and, and, and another thing that research shows us is about 50 percent of happiness is genetically determined. So some people are born tiggers and some people are born ears. And that's pretty much hard wired. Then about 15 to 20% is life circumstances. That's health, income, marital status, education, occupation. And then all the rest is very much uh, a product of our conscious thoughts and actions. And that's where we can really have our own happiness project is in that section. So some people are just naturally like in the seven to 10 range. And some people are more naturally, you know, in the four to seven range. And I think sometimes the people who are on the higher range, try to, they want other people to lift up. Because partly for their own benefit, but also because they feel drained by it, you know, and so they want I want you to feel be more ebullient because it's going to make me feel better. I think we absolutely uh, happy people help make other people happy. So we lift people with our own happiness. Um, But I do think you can really polarize people and antagonize people if you take someone who's just naturally lower down on the scale and you're constantly kind of nudging them. Look at the bright side. Smile. It's not so bad. I don't understand. Like, you know, because because those folks, they're like, you're not realistic, which research shows that people, many people are kind of unrealistically optimistic. It's it's a helpful attitude and it's actually a productive attitude, but it is kind of unrealistic. Um, so they feel like they're right and they don't appreciate it. And so what can happen is if one person's kind of on somebody trying to like make them happy. You see this a lot of times with parents, very upbeat mm-hmm. parents who have more kind of less upbeat mm-hmm. children. They don't like that. And only it almost kind of makes things worse. So we want to accept people. One thing that's always good to do is to acknowledge the reality of other people's feelings. What research shows is that when you acknowledge the reality of someone's feelings, it helps them to feel heard and kind of let go of it. If you try to persuade them, they don't feel what they feel. You're not depressed this is fun. You're having fun. You never liked that anyway. Given everything that's going on in the world, you're here to complain to me that you're not going to your gymnastics class. It's like, that doesn't make people feel better. That doesn't make people feel hurt. But if you say, gosh, it is really disappointing. You were looking forward to that class. You had a, you just were thinking about it. You had your outfit all picked out for the first day and now it's not happening. Then a person can be like, yeah, but I guess everything is getting canceled. You know, they can get, you know, so that's another thing is not trying to insist that people look on the bright side or, you know, feel gratitude or, you know, but to acknowledge what they feel and uh, and, and allow them to kind of be their natural self too. Um, but it, it is hard. Um, and I should say like depression, I'm talking about the kind of ordinary happiness and unhappiness. Mm-hmm. True depression is a very serious condition. Mm-hmm. It needs to have every tool in the toolbox thrown at it. It needs a lot of attention, immediate attention, expert attention. I'm not talking about that. Uh, that's like a third thing. Uh, I'm talking about people who are feeling like ordinary blues, ordinary dejection, disappointment, irritation, that kind of thing. 
And I feel so many people are doing this whole looking back at past wrongs right now. They're looking back at so regretful over uh, things that happened in their childhood. I have people after person writing to me on email about these things. Is that the same kind of thing where we just acknowledge and say, okay, you have a little time on your hands. You're looking in the rearview mirror. Can let's look, let's look forward. Is that a good answer? Well, that's very. Are you seeing this specifically with COVID? I haven't noticed this. 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 Yes. How fascinating! <laughs> so you feel like people kind of have the open space to ruminate? And yes. Have, how fascinating! I have not seen that. Huh. That is so interesting. Maybe I just have the wrong friends. <laughs> no, but I I think that is very fascinating. Uh, well, because one thing that's happening is people have kind of this open space. It's like everybody's mm. schedule is so much op- more open, right? So one person's learning guitar, one person's baking sourdough bread, somebody else is watching <laughs> Game of Thrones, and somebody else is reminiscing about how bad, how mean their sister was to them. Exactly, that's the stuff. Oh, interesting. And you know what? I wonder if something that's contributing to that is a lot of people are like sheltering in place. I have many friends who are adult children who are with their parents and it's easy to fall back into those old mm-hmm. patterns and to be reminded of old wrongs and slights and, and, and irritations. Um, how interesting. Now I, that's, I have not thought about that, but I think you're exactly right. I think it's not to say like, you know, you shouldn't feel that way. It's to say, that's how you remember it. And thinking mm-hmm. back on it, you really, have these bad feelings and like, I'm here to talk to you about that. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, if it's a serious thing, I think they might want to have a professional help to talk about it. If it starts to become intrusive or Hmm. to affect their current relationships in a significant way. You know, I've learned a lot in this interview already, Gretchen, but I have to tell you my favorite moment so far was, was, you know, witnessing the spontaneous moment of fascination uh, that that you just exhibited. Because, you know, I I think, and I mean this with all due respect, Gretchen Rubin is a self-made expert. You know, she's an example of what (laughs) anybody can become. No, I mean, this is what happens when you've got an inquisitive mind, you're fascinated with this stuff, and you've got the ability to not only research, but organize the research and then the ability of a brilliant writer. And I think starting with happiness, it, it just seems so natural that as you understood happiness, that the right kind of habits became important. Yeah. So you wrote a book about that. Uncluttering became important. So let me throw out one more uh, because we believe, uh, Bill, Laura, and I, that growing bolder is a key to happiness, especially as we get older. Uh, we're, we're talking about risk-taking and not the kind of risk that will jeopardize our health or our security, uh, but the kind of risks uh, that, that, that involve potential failure in terms of relationships or experiences or, uh, you know, learning new stuff. What do you think about, you know, as we grow older, opening ourselves up and taking risk, uh, if not now, when kind of thing? Exactly. Well, I think it's, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you for, for a couple of re- One is research shows that novelty and challenge make people happier. Even something as small as like going to a new restaurant instead of your old favorite diner tends to make people happier. So doing things that are new, doing things that are challenging. But the thing about challenge is that it often does involve negative emotions like anxiety, fear, frustration, embarrassment. Um, so you ha- you sort of have to accept that this isn't going to be easy. I have to work through this. But I know that if I get to the other side, probably even if I fail, because research shows that people regret the things they don't do more than the things that they do and fail at, um, I'm going to feel better for it. Also, my time is going to feel richer. And I, this is something that we're all experiencing with COVID. When every day is the so- same, time speeds up. When we do new things, time slows down and feels rich. And so if you want your, your life to feel rich and full, doing new things is going to slow that down. Anybody's had a new baby knows this. The minute you have a new baby, it's like one day is a month. The first week is a year. You feel like you've lived a lifetime by the time that child is a year old in a good way, in a way that makes you feel like your life is rich. Now, what? but you pointed out the things like you don't want to do something that's going to jeopardize you. And I think there's a, there's a tension within happiness that I've, I've thought a lot about. So I think on the one hand, to live a happy life, we need to accept ourselves. We need to look truthfully in the mirror. We have to accept our own nature, our own character, our own values. We have to not live a fantasy self. We can't try to live up to someone else's idea of what we should be. 
you know, so we have to accept ourselves. At the same time, we want to expect more from ourselves. We want to push the limits of what we're comfortable with. We want to challenge ourselves. We want to do things that maybe do make us feel uncomfortable and go outside, you know, the comfort zone. Um, and the pro- people are always like, how do you tell if I'm accepting myself or expecting more from myself? Like, if I want to, you know, get better at like public speaking, maybe I should just accept the fact that I'm not a public speaker and move on and then I'll have more time for other things. Or maybe I need to challenge myself and I would actually push past this period of discomfort and get comfortable with it and good at it. Only each person can know what is the blind between accepting yourself and expecting more from yourself. But usually if you say to people, I think a good question is choose the bigger life. What for you would be the bigger life? Because a lot of times people would be like, yeah, that's not really, I, this, that's not a bigger life for me. I'm not like, that's not a future that is appealing to me. But then a lot of times it's like, if you say, well, if you were going to do this or not, which is the bigger life? People would instantly say, this is the big-. like, if somebody said to me, Gretchen, you want to learn guitar? I'd be like, no, it's just like, that's not a good use of my time. I'm not interested. I don't care. It's not worth it. That would be a smaller life for me. Cause what do I care about playing guitar for other people? It would be like, just incredibly exciting and revitalizing to think about learning guitar or getting back into guitar, right? A lot of times people need to reclaim things that have fallen away. Um, that can be challenging, um, but exciting. It's like having things to look forward to, right, Mark? Is that, that's kind of where you were going in Gretchen too, is that you know, learning the guitar, if you don't have a reason to do it, it's another chore. But even having a to-do list, which a lot of us don't have now during the pandemic, not having that is, is kind of disorienting. You know, having things mm-hmm. to look forward to, knowing that we're going to see people, knowing we have to accomplish things, whether it's a garden project or something at work, uh, that, that's something that we really need to hold on to for, for structure. No, I, I completely agree. And one thing that I'm really trying to look look for ways to incorporate in my own life and talking to other people about it is like, look for projects with a beginning, middle and an end. Like learning guitar maybe wouldn't be a good one or unless you like set yourself like, I want to learn to play this song where I can actually do that. You're not going to learn Italian. And, you know, I mean, pick something where you can like get it done or make a lot of progress, like replant your garden. I decided that I was going to learn how to play Texas Hold'em. I don't know how to play poker. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to learn how to play poker. And like I bought a poker set and I printed out like, what is a flush? What is a straight? And I'm trying to memorize it. And I'm like, I can learn to play poker. I won't be good at poker, but I can learn to play poker. And it's like something that I've kind of always thought everybody should know how to play poker. Um, if only to understand the plots of all the movies that revolve around poker. <laughs> and that's something I could do. You know, and I'll come out of this and I'll be like, I learned how to play poker. Um, And I think that for people who do have this feeling of kind of boundlessness and and aimlessness and so many things that we looked forward to and planned on and and probably spent a lot of time and energy setting up and money have been taken away. Saying like, okay, I'm going to do this, even if it's something like back to clutter, cleaning up my home office. Um, you know, these things give us that sense of I've used my time while I've made progress. Also, if you're, if you're worried about economic uncertainty, it can be really good. I'm going to update my resume. I'm going to learn, I'm going to take an online class to learn how to use Excel better or whatever it might be. I'm going to learn how to use a new software. People at my office say it's helpful. I never had the time before. My sister works in Hollywood and she hasn't updated her software writing, her writing program. She knows it would be so much easier and save her time. But learning the, all the updates, you know, it's such a nuisance. And she was just too busy. I'm like, do it now. Final draft. This is your moment. Do it. <laughs> uh, and then you're setting yourself up for more productivity and, and, and also perhaps making yourself a more attractive hire if you mm. end up on the job market. You've updated all of your LinkedIn profiles and whatever. Um, it's a lot of work, uh, but it can be done. It's a project that with a beginning, middle and an end that's going to set you up for the future. Well, unfortunately, this interview has had a beginning, a middle, and now we have to reach the end. You know, Gretchen, it's been fascinating. Uh, uh, we got to hang out more in the future. Thank you so much for your time, folks. If you want to learn more about Gretchen Rubin, uh, find out how you can uh, buy her books, listen to her podcast, you know, go to GretchenRubin.com. And guys, I think I learned two things important today. Number one, choose the bigger life. And number two, rent a dumpster. Gretchen, thank you so much. <laughs> Up next, the great things that can happen from growing a garden. 
This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com slash guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Hi, I'm Bill Schaefer, wanting to fill you in on the latest as far as flu shots. Dr. Kelly Tice-Wells, Senior Medical Director of Florida Blue, says that since the older population is at an increased risk of having severe illness if they contract the flu, that getting a flu shot can be a big help, not only in reducing the chances of a severe reaction, but in improving your odds of avoiding the flu altogether. She says this is especially true this season because of the complicating factors brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. She pointed out a couple of misconceptions out there this season. Some are concerned that getting a flu shot can somehow make you more likely to contract COVID-19, something Dr. Wells says is not the case. At the same time, a flu shot does not protect you against COVID-19 either. What it does is reduce the chances that you'll get infected with both viruses. Dr. Wells says it's not too early to get a flu shot. In fact, September and October are the times when an injection can offer the greatest benefit. But she stressed that if you have not gotten one yet, it is never too late. She says it's especially important that older adults with pre-existing conditions do get a flu shot. Pre-existing conditions put you at a greater risk of severe complications from a flu infection, especially if you have diabetes, heart disease, asthma, or other lung diseases, or have a poorly functioning immune system. Something else you may not realize is the benefit of having your entire household get a flu shot, and even extended families who have close contact. The reason is that your immunity protects those close to you. This is especially true if someone in your household, for some reason, cannot get the vaccine. You are protecting your family when you protect yourself. So what should we do about the holiday season? How should older adults navigate family gatherings? Well, Dr. Wells believes it is possible that there will be an increased number of cases of not just COVID-19, but also colds and the flu. She says it's important to consider limiting large gatherings, encouraging others to monitor their health and observe strict precautions to try to stay safe. Encourage others to monitor their health and observe strict precautions to try to stay safe. She says don't forget to wash your hands often, keep group gatherings small, and wear a mask when around family members who are not part of your household. More information on protecting the health of older family members can be found at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. You know, as we age, it becomes clear that one of the most important, but one of the most often neglected aspects of our life and even our health is social engagement. We're wired to connect. We need friends. We need interaction. But you can't just force it. You got to have something that brings people together, a shared purpose that offers a reason to get together, something that's interesting and compelling enough to make them want to. So here's a woman who's planted a seed that has grown to accomplish just that. The last time I looked at them, they were like this. I'm Donna Lee Needham. I'm retired, senior citizen, living in the senior residence here at the Plymouth. Loving it. I've been here two years, and um, I have always gardened. Oh, look at that. Look at that. that. That one's ready to eat. These were planted April 24th. The idea is to get people involved and out and looking and seeing and, and touching and, and talking, communicating. The last time I looked at them, they were little tiny things. So we have had residents that didn't even know this side of the building was here. I swear to you. Three ladies have said, oh, I never go on that side of the building. I always go out the front door. Didn't know the garden was here. This is cucumbers. We are already beginning to see people talking to one another about things that we didn't see before, expressing amazement that it's developing like it is. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. See, see the squash. Now see here, this one. He loves squash. 
So that is just so heartening to me. It, it, that's, that's what we're after. I mean, gardening is good for your soul. It's just been too wet for the squash. It's been very, very wet for the squash. Oh, really? Yeah. Here, have a bite. Have a bite. There isn't any better way than a garden. No way. No way. Walk barefoot and touch the earth, and it puts you, and then feeling it, picking it, eating it. I'm, I'm part of the earth. I'm not some creature. We are not, I should say. We are not separate from earth. Uh, we belong together. A green pepper. A green bean pepper. Oh, yes, yes, another one there back there. Green beans? Yes. Right here? Yes. You know, we are all here because it's affordable housing, and so not, ever, not anybody has a lot of money, but people are wanting to donate. I want to do my part. I want to be... And a lot of them, not to eat it, to see it, to see it, to feel it, to watch it. All of these are sweet peppers. We did not put any... Oh, look, the tag has gone out of here. I love green beans. We need money. Money, money, money. It's always a problem. It is a problem. But, but once it's established, it is not. It's cost-effective then. There's no reason that schools and, and senior facilities should be spending so much money on food when you could be growing much of your own. Loneliness and isolation, man, they are serious issues that a lot of us face as we age. Pushing someone to participate in social situations, you know, when that happens, it's usually not going to work. But when you connect people through common goals and things that they're really interested in, well, that's when you create the kinds of interactions that can really make a difference in a lot of lives. Yeah, and it really doesn't make any difference what you do as long as you like it and you do it with others who like it. There is no question that social ties create positive health effects, and something as simple as a community garden actually can be a catalyst that will bring a building full of strangers together, working towards a common goal, raising plants, and growing friendship. Up next, when protests in Portland threatened to get out of hand, what did it take to calm things down? We'll meet Cesar, the no-drama llama, and his pretty cool owner, Larry McCool. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. You've probably seen the video right in the middle of some of the most tense parts of the protests that took place in downtown Portland, a llama (laughs) for real right in the middle of the crowd. You know, Bill, I think it's fair to say without question, the most famous llama in the world right now. I mean, this is Mr. Ed type of celebrity. Uh, His name is Cesar, the no drama llama. uh, And he was there with his owner, Larry McCool. And it turns out that they are quite a story uh, because of the mystic llama farm that Larry owns, uh, where he believes that we underestimate the benefits of the llama uh, and animal contact in general. So let's bring in Larry McCool. Larry, how are you today? (laughs) Hey guys, we are doing fine. Thanks a lot for having us. No, thank you. And you know, Bill mentioned uh, the good work you're doing in Portland. So so let me just start there because I think what you did is remarkable. Uh, You know, when you bring Cesar into these tense situations and you kept him safe, you didn't put him anywhere where he would be in danger, but everybody on both sides immediately takes a deep breath. And we're talking about the police and we're talking about the protesters. Everybody wants to see and hug and get a picture with Cesar. Uh, What did it feel like to actually be someone that was diffusing the situation there that was kind of the, our uh, our intent that was the most important uh, part cesar has that ability that you know to bridge the gap between the two the two sides and uh, so if we can bring that tension level down and diffuse that level that was what our intent but of course we were never there to uh, to lessen 
the purpose and the value of the, the message that was being uh, said, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's a women's march or whatever event that we're a part of. You know, Cesar is there to, uh, you know, to amplify the event, not to detract from it. So we were, we were quite pleased with him being there. You know, Larry, we're thinking of starting our own organization called Love the Llama after what you've done. And, and this is so it's so unusual and so different. And I think that's part of the part of the attraction. We all know how valuable like service dogs can be and emotional support animals. But we didn't know about llamas maybe being able to do the same thing. How do they interact with humans? Can they actually be like service animals? Well, you know, as you can tell right now, he has, he has been very affectionate. Uh, <laughs> this is what he does uh, with people and he brings to, uh, to people, you know, all he has to do is to show up. And I understand that, you know, there's dogs and different animals like that. But let me tell you, when a big white 300 pound fluffy uh, lover like this shows up, it really takes the uh, air out of the sails of anybody who's just feeling, you know, aggressive and angry and stressful. And I know we have a lot of that going on in the world right now. But Cesar just is able to diffuse that. When you see somebody, uh, you know, in full riot gear, in camo with a, uh, <laughs> come up here, with a uh, gas mask on, and they're all of a sudden, they just stop. And they can come up, and also they want to hug Cesar. You just know you've done something something right uh, with, with him. And he's, he's uh, done the right thing. So we really are... Very thankful that that's our what we're able to do, and no llamas generally do not have this uh, uh, temperament, you know, to be this way. They tend to be a little bit standoffish, but Cesar is truly one of a kind. Well, you know, kudos to you for what you've done, and and you're right. You know, I had the impression that a llama would spit on me if I got uh, anywhere <laughs> near it. So let me ask you this: How old is Cesar? Have you had him from birth, and and, and what is responsible for the temperament that we're now seeing? You know what today is, guys? Today is Cesar's sixth birthday. So Whoa, he's uh, six man. years old today. And, uh, you know, llamas live to be about 20 on average. So he's got a long life of, uh, ahead of him. And, uh, no, I, I discovered his talent by accident. So he and I were out in the uh, event at the uh, Oregon State Fair. And uh, he was able to interact with uh, people uh, during that uh, event. Yeah, we, we uh, discovered that he had this ability, and it's so unusual for him to uh, to do this, for a llama to do this. So I just, oh, he's yawning. I'm <laughs> oh. very thankful that he and I are partners in this. Wow. So, Larry, what was it that gave you the idea in the first place to take Cesar with you down to the protests? I have been involved in a lot of... Uh, social active uh, protests all my life. And Cesar and I would have been in lots of different marches. We probably total of 50 marches and parades over the, over the last uh, two or three years. And uh, the Black Lives Matter kind of was, was escalating here in the uh, Portland area, probably more than anywhere else in the uh, country. So we, uh, we thought, well, you know what, let's go up and kind of see if we can, uh, you know, help, help the message. And that was a march with 10,000 people in that march. And we were right in the middle of uh, uh, Pioneer Courthouse Square in Portland, and there was we were dead center with ten thousand people. So there was no there was no in and no out with uh, Cesar. He was going to be he was going to be part of the uh, event no matter what, and he was so well accepted. Uh, the Black Lives Matter speakers uh, we were we were asked to be up on stage with them, and uh, so he kind of diffused that situation. And then they all, of course, they all wanted pictures with him. So they all came up and took uh, pictures uh, with him. <laughs> you know what? He loves your beard, <laughs> as do we all. Oh, so yeah. We know, could, yeah. <laughs> we, know, we know a good bit about Cesar, uh, the uh, emotional support llama. Now, he's six years old today. Uh, Larry, you are 66 yeah. years old today, I believe. Uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory, because we can see that you're a gentle soul. We can see that you're willing to step out and make a statement. And, you know, I, for one, think that people uh, over 50s, 60s and 70s have been far too hesitant to step out and help their voices, uh, make their voices heard. What brings you to this moment? What makes you feel so strongly about making a statement? You know, thanks for asking that because, yeah, at 66 years old, I started in the, uh, well, matter of fact, 
it was really the late 60s and uh, 70s going to uh, events in my in my teens. Then in the early 70s, I started working very political uh, events. You know, we I was involved in a lot of uh, uh, environmental groups, a lot of uh, social change groups. That was that was really before uh, a lot of the uh, events that are happening today. You know, there was very little uh you know women's women's rights you know roe v wade hadn't even been uh approved yet uh there was no such thing as lgbq community so we were out there kind of with some of the forefront and uh this is kind of show you how far back i went with mine uh cesar uh you know this was this was actually during the second term of the uh, richard nixon administration so uh you kind of know there was a lot of uh uh even much angst going on back in the in that period of time also, so you know, I, I really got political back then. I worked. I worked on every uh, political campaign, every presidential campaign as a volunteer, and we're very politically active here in, in Oregon. Also, we work with the governor, we work with the state senators, uh, and we've we've uh, marched with all of them, and we've uh, canvassed with the governor. We canvassed with the, our U.S. senators. We canvassed with our U.S. representatives. Uh, so this is kind of a normal fit and then when i find a partner like this who can actually draw as much attention to a, a cause you know it, it was it was well worth it i mean it's a natural fit and i think you made a comment that i wasn't ever going to put cesar in danger at all you know he was we were going to write me in the thick of things you know we saw at the black lives matter uh marches we you know we could hear the flash bombs going off we could we could smell the uh uh, tear gas. But uh, I just wanted to assure everybody that Cesar was never in danger. You know, he's just too important to me to uh, to put him in that kind of situation. You know, wow. for those of us that are listening uh, on, on the radio or on podcast, you're really missing out because, oh, my gosh, that llama, Larry, is has been nuzzling your cheek. Mark's taking a picture of all of us now. <laughs> he's been nuzzling your cheek the whole time. He he looks like everybody wishes their dog would be. He just looks like an animal that that really, really cares uh, for you and what's going on. Tell us, Larry, a little bit about the Mystic Llama Farm that you have put together. What happens there? What do you do? And, you know, you could have had cows. You could have had a few sheep. Why the llama? Well, you know, it's actually kind of a natural uh, transition. Uh, yeah, I've had llamas for about 24 years. My wife and I have uh, on our little farm in Jefferson, Oregon. And, uh, but we actually did start growing out start with uh, livestock. I grew up on a big livestock farm uh, out in the area around here. Lots of pigs, lots of sheep, lots of cattle, horses. And then when I got a chance to have llamas, the, I just fell in love with them. But what I really fell in love with was this hair, this amazing fiber that these guys have. And Cesar truly is as soft as he as he looks. Uh, mm -hmm. So I got into llamas for raising them for their fiber. And now the irony is when I got into it, I was told there was no marketplace for uh, llama hair. There was nothing you could do with that. You could sell to a few spinners. You could sell to a few weavers. Uh, and that was uh, kind of the extent of what we had. So what I had to do was I had to form a cooperative. So I formed the largest llama fiber cooperative in North America. Now we have 140 farms in 23 states in Canada. And so we all uh, pull our fiber together and we make fabulous products out of these wonderful, beautiful, beautiful animals. Wow. So that was my, that was my genesis for, for getting llamas. And then Cesar, the no drama llama here, has just taken over my world. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, he and I just, just have done everything together. So we're just really, really happy with what i retired about three years ago so i get to uh, to give back it's amazing what you have done uh what you are doing and we're talking with uh larry mccool and his six-year-old llama the uh cesar the no drama llama and and bill you know it really is remarkable to have a guy like this uh you know this is a guy who puts the cool in his name mccool a 66 year old that is making a difference that is socially concerned that is connected and uh you, i, I want to go to oregon and hang out with him for a while yeah didn't you just kind of have a feeling that he was going to be more interesting than the llama and, and he really is <laughs> as, as you said he's 66 you hear how excited he is about 
being involved in what's happening in the country, what's happening with animals, what's happening in his own life and career. That guy had more energy and passion and excitement talking about what he does than anybody. And that, man, that's a life well lived. And, you know, there, there is certainly nothing wrong with and, and probably a lot right with just being a, a, a hippie that's, that's laying low and not doing anything. And it'd be easy to think that's what this guy is. At the end there, he just dropped this on us about his business success, creating the largest collective of llama farmers in North America. So uh, he's figured out a way to live life on his own terms, to define success in the way that he wants to. And beyond that, he's figured out a way to wander from his farm and make a real difference in our society and our culture in support of everybody, including people that are nothing like him. So, you know, that's really a great thing. See, that, that's a great point because that's what makes him a growing boulder story. He chose a career path that nobody in the world would recommend, that nobody in the world knew anything about, that I'm sure all of his friends told him, Llama Farm? Really? But he did it. He did it for the right reasons because that's what he wanted to do. That's where his heart was. And, Mark, he found ways to make it work. Yeah, he really did. So, uh, Bill, thank you for bringing Larry McCool to us because I really enjoyed the interview. And, you know, we hope you folks did as well. Yeah, folks, you can learn more about Larry McCool. He's a very cool guy, as we've said. Cesar and other very cool therapeutic llamas by checking out their Mystic Llama Farm page on Facebook. So give it a look if you'd like to learn more. Our thanks to Larry McCool and happy birthday to Cesar. What an interesting guy. Larry McCool talking to us from the Mystic Llama Farm. Doesn't that sound like a really cool place <laughs> to be in Oregon? And Mark, when, when he turned up at that protest in Portland, he couldn't have had any idea that a clip, a video of the llama right in the middle of that crowd really would have made him the topic of conversation all over the country. Yeah, but it was Growing Boulder that made the effort to do even more than that, to reach out, to connect with him, and find out the story behind the story. And as interesting as the llama is, it's no surprise to us that the guy who owns it is every bit as interesting. Another example of an ordinary person living an extraordinary life and doing whatever he can to make a difference. Up next, On My Mind with Mark Middleton. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. I'm Mark Middleton, and as many of you know, in addition to our Growing Boulder TV show, now in its sixth national season on public television stations coast to coast, we also produce a show that's called Launch Pad to What's Next, because, you know, when you get right down to it, we are all trying to figure out what's next, and we really should, because for 99.99% of all the time that modern man has been on the planet, there has never been a what's next for anyone beyond the age of 50. In fact, the average life expectancy was 49 back in 1900. It was 63 in 1935. But now we've got decades of active life beyond normal retirement age. So here's the challenge. It's important that we're mindful, that we learn to live in the moment and celebrate the now, but we also need goals. We have to have a vision of where we want to go uh, because if we exert a consistent level of intent, we will get there. But if not, life is going to push us around. Circumstances that have nothing to do with us will ultimately control our life. We'll be buffeted about by chance and the impact of random events. You might get lucky. Uh, you might also win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. So while you're living in the moment, continue to ask yourself what's important, what really matters, and then try to do more of that and less of everything else 
because that's growing bolder. All right, folks, we've had questions for all of our guests, but we haven't asked you, the listeners, anything. I'm going to hit you with some rapid-fire stuff. Did you know The Growing Boulder is also a television show on public TV stations across the country? Did you? That Growing Boulder is a quarterly 100-page magazine that you would love? That Growing Boulder has a must-see page on Facebook that you should be a part of? That Growing Boulder is a life-changing book written by Mark right over there? Learn more about it all and find more inspiring interviews, videos, memes, merchandise, and motivation at growingbolder.com. And while we celebrate what's possible, let's not deny that aging brings with it many challenges and many uh, difficult times. So, uh, you know, while we try to shine a light on what's possible, look out for your neighbors. Pay attention to those in your community, those in your street, and those in your family. If they need help, reach out and offer it because that's Growing Boulder. We'll see you next time. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my map. Said I, proud neath heated brow. Ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Half right prejudice leap for rip down all hate I scream. Lies that life is black and white. Spoke from my skull, I dream. Musketeers, foundation deep somehow. Oh, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. In a soldier stance, I aim my hand at the mongrel dogs who teach. Fearing not, I'd become my enemy in the instant. Sure.